Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on our future guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome singer-songwriter Matt Koza. Now his journey began as a youngster in New Jersey. Along the way, it took him to LA for a couple of years and eventually down to Nashville, where he settled in as more of a songwriter. He wasn't sure where the artist path was going to lead at that point. But in 2019, he jumped into the studio with really no expectations. He just wanted to have fun making music. Two years later, he has returned with a new album called Wild Horse that will be released in May. So please enjoy our conversation with Matt Kozel. For you, your journey, it's one half family and one half music. And so let's maybe start out with the music part of it, because I saw a picture of you. I believe it was Christmas of 91. So I think you would have been about three years old then. <laughs> and you had a little toy guitar that I presume you got for Christmas yeah. that year. And so talk about that moment and sort of your love of music already at that age. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my dad the other day about uh, the very first guitar magazine he ever bought me. And it was uh, it was a guitar player's magazine that had songs that that was what I learned. I said, I bet you wish you'd have bought me like a lawyer's digest or something like that. That would have <laughs> right. made me, you know, been a little easier. But he talked about like when I was a kid and the first like kind of guitar they ever got me was this thing called the Jaminator. It's cool back in the nineties. It was a weird little like electric guitar and it had like buttons and sounds and all that. Um, but I remember being a kid and getting my first electric guitar. My aunt got me. And, uh, and I just remember sitting there and thinking, I was like, this is the coolest thing, you know, and I'm a huge Elvis fan. I've always been an Elvis fan since right. I was a kid. And, um, and that was all I wanted. I was like, if I could just get a guitar, this is the key to the kingdom, right? This is the thing that like gets people to see me play and I get to play music. So it was, it was really early on where, you know, that was like set in my brain and, and uh, I, I knew that's the thing that I wanted to do, you know? So when I was a kid, having that guitar was everything. And so your love of Elvis, do you remember the first time hearing oh, him man. in a way that really, resonated within you do you remember that moment at all or did it happen so early that you don't it's just always been there it's always been a couple of things so it was it was elvis and the california raisins they were kind of like hand in hand nice right? for people who remember the california raisins like i heard them singing heard it through the grapevine i heard that soul thing and i heard you know the the country gospel rock and roll of elvis uh i remember i think i remember the first time hearing him just going who is this larger than life figure and it was, I mean, in this house that I'm in right now, there is more probably stuff that I've never kept of like old Elvis t-shirts and puzzles and stuff like that. The people would just always give me because they knew I was such a fan. Right. But I mean, having, 
having heard his voice and hearing what he did and seeing him, I think that was the best part about Elvis was just like watching how electric he was. You couldn't help but feel it. And then you heard his voice and you're like, man, this is cool. Um, I was probably three, four years old. And, uh, and, and it was, it was awesome. And so that energy you felt from Elvis and Mm -hmm. his performing now for you in that house that you're sitting in right now, your parents' house, when you were younger, was, were there a lot of living room performances? Were you entertaining the family at a young age, the way that you saw Elvis? You know, what's funny. I never sang for my family. Oh, really? I was not one. I didn't like singing in the house. I would sing when everybody was gone. Okay. Which is so interesting. I used to, my, my mother and my grandmother used to yell at me this, why don't you sing for us? I said, I don't know. I just like, it wasn't that I was embarrassed. It was just like, it was a thing that was for me. Right. Right. And I feel like that's one of the, uh, one of the most common things I always hear from singers are like, man, ever since I was a kid, I was singing for my family and I was doing all that. I said, no, man, I was singing for myself. I was just, as soon as, as soon as the last person left the house, I was just, I'd turn on the radio. I'd start singing to it. I'd play guitar to it. And I, it was almost like my, my private rehearsals oh, as a okay. kid. And actually a lot of them happened in this room, in this very, in this actual room. Wow, you know, this was, awesome. this is, this is my childhood room. Oh, okay. that, uh, that is when I moved turned into a family office. And, um, but a lot of my earliest memories of singing songs happened four feet that way, you know? That's amazing. And before we get to the moment where you began singing for other people, let's talk about the family who inhabit that house that you're in right now. First of all, you've talked about your grandma and I think you've mentioned she's probably maybe at the top of the list when it comes to the important people on this journey. Oh, yeah. And so talk she about is, uh, her. She is her, her name. We'll, her name is Viola. We call her Vi. And she is, um, or that's what she likes to be called. But she is, I always called her, uh, she's the nail in the glue, you know, that hold the house together. And I feel like everybody, every family has those people, but she is, um, she's, you know, whenever we talk about it, I'm like, without her, none of us would be here. And she's the one that kind of gave us all the direction and was the, was the, was the holding force of the household. Um, and I, she's been, you know, uh, as long as I can remember, uh, she lived with, you know, my parents and, and me and my brother since I was a baby. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, and listening to her, listening to music that, you know, inspired her. I mean, that was, that was the one thing she was always such a lover of just listening to good songs. And, uh, and my family's, they're big listeners of music. They're not musicians. We had other family members that I didn't know that were musicians, oh, okay. um, but nobody in the family was a direct musician. Everybody was in an art form or, you know, uh, something like that, but uh, very, you know, just music listener. And I was probably the only one that sang, you know, outwardly and, that's why they would get angry at me was because I was the only one who, who would sing and they'd go, why don't you sing for us? And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't have an, <laughs> I don't have an answer. Right. It's just, I won't. But now, you know, now it's fun to like come home. She has an iPad and I'll put on the music. She's like, Oh, what's this new song you just put out? And so I'll put it on and she'll listen to it and she'll sit and we'll have coffee together. And she'll be like, that's a nice song. And I'm like, thanks. You know, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's the highest compliment that I can get from her. And now your grandpa 
and your uncle, your grandfather, John, and your uncle, Frank, you have mentioned in your social media, they served in World War II. And I believe that you still have their dog tags. I'm not sure if you still wear them, but you mentioned that you wear Man, them. You, you have done some great homework here because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I've talked about it and I don't really uh, I don't ever talk about it that often. Right. I do. I have uh, I wear their dog tags here. I have them right here. So this is my father shares one of his. So my grandfather, John, was my father's father. Oh, OK. And then uh, my uncle Frank was his brother. And I was named after their other brother, Matt. So when my Uncle Frank died, I kept his. And then my grandfather passed. Um, my father has one of his and I have the other. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, I've had them on me since I was, gosh, 14. Oh, wow. I never take them off. They don't ever, leave, they never, they have never left my body since then. <laughs> so they're, they're always just permanently there. But I mean, when it comes to, I think it was one of those things as I got older and, you know, you always look at family and how you treat it, but I, I had always respected it so much. And that was kind of the thing that was given to me as a child was such a, you know, a good respect of the people who were in your family that, uh, that just always stuck. And so how important was the entire family? You know, we talk about them and your grandma and your parents sort of individually, but as a whole, how important was family just on a whole for you along this journey? Very, you know, I mean, I, the thing with my family is we, we come from a town where music is really played as a, as a hobby, right? you know, and it's the part of the country where no one looks at it as a job. It's like you play the bars on the weekend, you go to your job during the week. And, and, you know, I think for them with me growing up and the entire family, they were always so supportive of shows and things like that. My younger cousin still, he'll call me when a new song comes out and he'll be like, I've just played in the truck, you know, eight times. And it's really fun to have people who looked at what I did and my family, I mean, people and have them love it and respect it the way that I always did. Right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the norm. It's definitely never been the normal thing for, you know, a kid from central New Jersey to be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to go off and play music all the time. But yeah. since I was, I think my first show was at 14. Um, I played a coffee house in the local town around here. And then I just started playing all the bars and I would play New York and I'd travel to Maine and New Hampshire and do all that. And they were just always supportive. They're like, where are you going now? And, and especially even now in life, they're always just like, so where are you? <laughs> are you safe? And are you okay? And I'll just send videos and I say, look where I am, look what we're doing. And it's just for, for them now, it's always, sometimes it's like, this sounds kind of silly, but it's like, I get more of a kick out of seeing them excited. Right. Yeah. Then sometimes I more than me being excited because I go, man, I can't wait to show my, my family. I'll text my brother, show him a picture, uh, show, you know, show my parents where I'm at and everyone's just excited about it. So it's, I mean, they've always played such a big, big role and in, in the support system. So I've always been really lucky on that front. And so you mentioned starting to play out at 14. Now I saw a post about the Linden High School Auditorium and what that meant for your journey and what that stage meant. And so at 14, before that, you're only playing in your bedroom. You don't want anyone else to hear. And then all of a sudden at 14, you start playing out and it feels like it really wrapped up quickly from there. So was it pretty intoxicating when you finally started playing in front of other people? 
You know, I, here's the thing I'll say. I had some really great teachers. I had uh, one, uh, his name was Reggie Turner. And then I had uh, another one, her name is Kristen Lawrence Eddy. And uh, Reggie Turner was my middle school music teacher. Kristen was my high school music teacher. Uh, Mr. Turner, as I always refer to him, he was the guy who, and even to this day, I mean, he sent me a couple of Instagram and, or Facebook messages back and forth. And to this day, he's always the guy I credit as getting me to really love playing and singing music. You know, he was the one that taught me the importance of having your own voice and finding the thing that you want. And then Mrs. Lorenzetti was the one who, she heard me playing guitar in a room one day and I was singing this song and I forget what it was. And she goes, hey, there's a little coffee shop in this town. You should probably go sign up for an open mic. And I was like, okay, I'm 14 years old. I go play this coffee shop and you get three songs. You have to be there at a certain time. So her, her husband, uh, my family come out and every, you know, they're just there to support, watch this 14 year old kid play guitar in front of right. people. And then people reacted and the people who own the cafe reacted. And they were like, we want you to come back next week and play us for an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went, I was like, cool. I've never played more than three songs in front of people until today. Now I've got to come back in, in a week and play an hour's worth of music. Right. So it was, but it was exciting. Like that was the thing is it, I wasn't scared of it. I was more, uh, I, I was, I was just more eager to do it again. And then once I did that show, then I booked another show in another town close by for a month later. And they wanted an hour and a half worth of music. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, from 14 through high school playing in bands, and then getting out of high school, going into college, starting to play bars. It just, it never stopped. I never got tired. Of, I still don't, I mean, obviously I never get tired of it. It's the coolest, it's the coolest job. It's sometimes the most stressful job, but man, for those 30 minutes to an hour that you get to sit and play songs for people, you know, all of it's worth it. And I think from that day, I'm, I'm, I still go to that cafe. Every once in a while, I'll see if I can go play at that cafe, oh, but nice. I'm friends with the owner. The owner, who's the owner of that cafe now, it's a place called Van Gogh's Ear in Union. Um, the owner, Sarah, was 17 when I was playing there at 14. And she's now the owner and we've become good friends over the years. So she now owns the cafe. She was just working there as a 17-year-old. Oh, okay. And now she That's owns awesome. it. And I just come and I, I hang out with you know her and her brother and and um but it's it's always fun to like walk back into that room and I'm like cool that's the exact spot that was the very first place I've played guitar for people. Wow. And now people who are coming into your music now are used to you in the country genre. But back then I read that you were part of the New Jersey All-State Choir singing oh, more yeah. classical music. And so <laughs> yeah. in the beginning of your journey there in high school and then the couple of years after, where was your music? What were you creating and playing? I feel like for the most part of my mid to late teens into even in my early 20s, it was a mix. I mean... So uh, I went to college and I studied vocal performance. So I was studying opera music. Okay. I you know, I was singing in Latin and in French and in Russian and in Japanese and oh, wow. Portuguese. Um, and it was wonderful. I had a beautiful professor named Richard Hobson. He was he's still such a wonderful friend. And um, 
But then I would have vocal lessons with him on a Friday morning at nine o'clock. And then the night before I was at a local bar, Butch Cole's playing Stevie Ray Vaughan covers until three o'clock in the morning, you know? So it's like the mixture of what I was trying to figure out was so strange. I love classical music. I always have a deep love for it. I love soul, rhythm and blues. I love gospel. I love country. I love the 70s singer songwriter, but I love loud guitars. So I wanted to hear Hendrix and I wanted to hear Zeppelin. Stevie Ray. So a lot of that time frame was just me trying a bunch of stuff out. And, um, but I always, for me, it was whatever facet I can get myself into singing or playing and performing. I didn't care how it was done. I just wanted to do it. So the classical thing was really an interesting, it was kind of out of left field. Uh, the same teacher, uh, Mrs. Lauren Zetti was the one who introduced me into the state choir world, just to, just to push myself. And it, it was right. a really great, it was a really great lesson on don't rely on your talent because there were so many kids who were so great and beautiful singers. And, you know, it learns, it, it teaches you how to not be a big fish in a small pond. You know what I mean? Right. You instantly go from very big fish in a small pond to very small fish in a very large pond. And you have to, you have to work for it. And I had a really good friend in that. And one of those years of the choir that taught me that he's like, Hey, you cannot just rely on how talented you are. You have to really work. And it kind of set the motion of like, cool, if I want to do this and I have to apply that to now everything. So every small show at a bar, every performance we had with a choir, I was really digging in and I, I learned to love the work along with the performance. Right. And now in, I believe it was 2009, you had an EP, Good Man Down. <laughs> You're the second one to bring this up. This cracks me up because yes, I did. Now, what what was that? How How did that come about and sort of where did it come from? You know, it was the first couple of songs that I wrote. I was 19, 18, 19, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, maybe even younger than that. And, uh, and I had my band that I traveled with and we played the Jersey shore. We played New York, we played bars locally and I wanted to make a record. So I produced this, like, I think five, six song record called good man down. And it's funny. I can't believe people find this thing. It's, you know, <laughs> I thought it was one of those things that just disappeared into the internet, but look right. at me, look at me realizing that nothing on the internet ever goes away. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was, that was my first like real introduction to putting music out and having people react to something. This was still back when you had uh, MySpace, right? This is right. when you had um, Pure Volume, which was something that I know locally we used a lot here in New Jersey for bands and things like that. But you had these outlets and it was like, cool, I want to put music out and I want people to hear it. So I was like, okay, well, I have to make a record. Well, I'm, you know, 17, 18, 19, I don't have any money to make a record. Right. And I had a little bit of recording gear and some knowledge. So I went and I did it myself. I took a bunch of microphones to my buddy's basement where he had his drums set up. <laughs> I recorded the drums. I remember I sat in the basement of this house. We have a little room that I call my music room. And I would, I would, uh, I sat probably for months just, I learned what a, a extra large cup of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts looks like. Never even knew they made the cup, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was just thought large is the largest size you can get. And they finally told me when that they're like, Matt, you can get an extra large if you want. So I would sit and I would drink coffee after school and work or wherever I was going. Right. And I would just work on this record till three, four o'clock in the morning and then get up and, and go to school because I was so excited for it to sound good. 
And as I listen back now, I go, man, all that work, you had no idea what you're doing, but <laughs> at least you tried. But it was the, you know, I had a, another really good lesson taught to me uh, by a guy named Willie Wiest. And he's, uh, he, I believe he's still, maybe he was the sound engineer or the, the head sound engineer for the State Theater in New Jersey. And he was the one who taught me kind of about sound engineering a little bit. And he said, the one thing you should always learn is how to record because, you know, you want to be able to go into a studio and say what you want and not tell somebody or not have somebody tell you what you want. Right. Yeah. And um, so that's why I wanted to try to do it, that first record. And it, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I, I only thought like certain friends still had burned CDs of that in their car somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's probably a, a, a copy floating around this house somewhere. Yeah. I'm not hand, I'm not handing it to anybody. <laughs> you know, it'll probably just be for me, but I'm sure there's one in this house I could find. That's awesome. And now your buddy, Ryan, I saw that sort of a big moment you mentioned was in 2011, you guys were sitting in Santa Monica and it was sort of around that time. I don't know if it was that exact moment, but it was around that time where he kind of gave you a talk. Like, if you want to do this, then do it, chase it, go after it. And so talk about his friendship. And especially in those days, what he meant for where you are now. Well, and it's funny. I was just on the phone with him right before we got on this oh, call. Really? Um, just because I had some new news to tell him. And he still lives in Los Angeles, him and his wife and his two beautiful, his two beautiful boys. Um, he was my manager for a long time. I met him probably around 2010. Uh, he was in grad school at Wagner University, which is in Staten Island. Okay. And I met him playing a show uh, through another friend. And he was like, hey, I'm moving to California. I really love your music. We sat and had this meeting a couple of days after. He's like, I'd love to, I'd love to help manage you and try to get you, you know, he was, he was the first one. And I mean, we're only a couple of years apart, but he was, he's, he was hungry and he wanted to work in music. And he's like, I love what you do. I want to help. So he moved to Los Angeles and I started playing bars collecting money just so I could fly out and my my first trip he lived in like a, a, a weird little apartment and I slept on a piece of foam in the corner of the room <laughs> you know me and my suitcase and this was my first time in LA and I had my guitar and my suitcase and I was like all right I'm here right and I would drop him off at his job I would take his car and I would go to writing sessions and we did that for a good long time man I mean Ryan to me is still one of my best friends and, and somebody who I love so much. He was the one who looked at me and said, don't pass on this, you know? And I remember <laughs> it's a silly moment, but he came to my parents' house for dinner one time and they knew that we were working together. And he was like, guys, I hate to tell you this, but your son's really good. And I want to help him as long as that's okay. He was very respectful. I was a young kid from New Jersey. You know, it's like, they wanted me to, go to school find a job and he was like there's just there's something so much cooler and I know you want to do it um he always had this great phrase if something scares you run for it right you know because it's, it's the only thing worth chasing at that point and uh and that's a lesson I've taken with me forever you know if it's scary and it and it makes you uncomfortable it's probably what you should be doing and uh because it's exciting you know and no one loves change but sometimes that's the thing that needs to happen and for years, I want to say probably until that was what I was probably 20, 21 uh, until like 26, 
you know, I was basically just playing bars to collect money. I'd fly out. I did. Then he was moving around. So I'd have different parts of the city that I can get to know and love. <laughs> right. Um, so he, he was in Santa Monica at one point. He was in the valley at one point. Then we were closer to the beach in Santa Monica. And I would go out there for a week, two weeks, sometimes a month, come home, play a bunch, get some more, get some more money, work some odd jobs. And then I'd just go back out and I'd write. So a lot of my early years of writing music and getting those bearings and grinding your teeth, I guess, were were in those years of like 20 to 26, where it just, it was nonstop flight, work, 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 figure out your sound, fly back, play a few bars, work, 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 fly back. You know, so it was just that, it was that for six straight years. And in between, I would travel with the band, whoever was playing with me at the time, from city to city. And we'd, you know, tour to Chicago, tour to Nashville, go up to the Northeast and play Philly, New York, all that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, had it not been for him, and I remember that day, his buddy Rob, his old roommate Rob, took that photo of us. We we're sitting out having coffee and having this meeting about what we wanted to do that day. And it's a really cool, uh, what's the word I want to use for that? It's like a, it's just, well, it's a really cool just moment in time where I remember looking at two guys who go, we've got so much to do in life and so much work that we want to accomplish. And I could look at that photo and Every time I see it, I just go, man, if we only knew that the words that we were saying would still re resonate with us now. And it's still the thing that we want to do. And it's funny because people don't see those years. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. like, especially when you're in Nashville, no one sees that time that you put in the 10 years plus prior to. And it's, it's, it's really fun to have those as kind of those little blips of memories and go, yeah, no, we've been doing it for a while. So. But yeah, I was, again, I was just on the phone with him and he's every day he's excited and he's in new work now and he is still, still one of my best friends. And so growing up in New Jersey and then taking trips back and forth to see him in LA, when did Nashville come into the picture? Why did you decide to move there in the first place? Was it the songwriting that drew you there? Like many of the artists who moved to Nashville? Yeah. I mean, so I toured there maybe once or twice uh, early on in my 20s. And I had met a bunch of good people, kids who went to Belmont. And my, mainly none of them are there anymore. Um, and one or two are still there that I keep in touch with. But it, it, uh, I remember we were <laughs> we had pulled in. We were staying at the Best Western on Music Row, which at the time there was nothing around it. Right. And we, stayed, we went to this house that was behind it. And I met a bunch of these kids who were musicians. And the city was still very small. I mean, I think I saw one of the first shows at the OG basement. Like it had to be one of the first couple of years it was open. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, it was, it was just really cool to see that community. And I went, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. And then over the next couple of years, I would go back and I'd do more writing trips. And I started to realize, I'm like, okay, these are the people that I resonate with. These, this is the community that I really enjoy. And I said, and I'm getting such a masterclass in writing that I've never had. LA, LA works in a different wavelength and they hustle and it's hard. And they, they look at such high quality, um, like high quality and high performance sellable art. Right, and then yes. for Nashville, it was, man, we want to get gritty and we want to talk about things that might hurt. You know, we want to we want to hear about the down days. We don't want to just make it sellable art. We just want to make it feel. 
And I think having the mix of those two things in my life, I was like, cool, I want it to be something that people enjoy, but I also want to be able to sit and, and really dig in to a lyric. And uh, so when I, when I moved there, finally, I moved there in 2015. Um, and I, you know, I had seen it years before that, but I, you know, finally made the move and, and Anna and I had already had some really cool introductions to people who had been there for 20 years already. Right. And, um, and I just knew that when I got there and I've said this to a bunch of people, they're like, what's writing like in Nashville? I said, it's the best masterclass college education you will ever have as long as you just move there and put yourself in it. And um, you have to be willing to be wrong a lot. <laughs> and I had a, a good buddy uh, uh, writer tell me, he was like, man, just we're, we're sitting writing a song. And he just goes, dare to be wrong. And that was another, I mean, th this was only maybe about two years ago and I'm still learning. And he was like, man, just dare to be wrong. Type anything. And I just went, another big, gut punch of learning how to write songs it's just yeah it's that community really made me go okay this is where you need to sit and uh man i'm really i'm real happy i did and so early on in your journey in nashville you met your producer matthew who you continue to work with to this day and also brie kennedy who has been a big part of this journey for you and so how important have those two individuals been to where you are today and the fact that you're still in Nashville. Well, yeah, I mean, these are the people that keep me there, you know, uh, Matt Odmark, my producer, um, he is, uh, both are my dearest friends. Matt, I met on my writing trip, the last writing trip I took into town before um, I moved and we instantly hit it off. He is one of the members of a band called Jars of Clay. I didn't okay. know them as a kid, but I, you know, after obviously meeting him, we had just hit it off as friends. And I finally start digging into, oh, these guys are Grammy winning musicians. And it, they, but they've all become this great big family that I love so much. And through Matt, I met Bree, who we became instant collaborators, instant friends. And um, and it was just without, you know, without having to think about it, just probably one of the best choices in terms of learning how to write with someone who got you on the same level. And the interesting story about Bree and I is that we had, we had known a lot of the same people in Los Angeles. And at the time that I was spending a lot of, you know, weeks and months there, um, they were telling her, cause she was over there at the same time. Hey, there's this guy, Matt Kozer, you got to write with. Oh, really? And we never met up there. We just happened to meet up in Nashville at the same time. And, you know, her and I just started writing a lot together. And then we had a community of people around us, all our friends who we were writing with. And, um, and then Matt was producing records and hiring me as a guitar player, getting me involved in the Nashville recording scene. Um, and I mean, but those two over the, it's funny, I, when, I, when I first moved to town, I said, hey, I'm just going to be a songwriter. Okay. I don't want to try to chase being an artist anymore. I just really want to write songs. And it took a couple of years for those two to really convince me because they they were the two that said, hey, you need to do another record. And I said, oh, you know, it's not. I tried it once and I'd had fun trying to be an artist, but I said, I just don't know if it's if it's for me anymore. Right. You know, I loved singing for people and I loved the reaction that I got but I was really trying to focus on writing the best songs that I could. 
um, all while still keeping my live performance thing up to par. I, I play guitar for for Bree and her band. Yeah, um, I'll play for other people. I'll play in studio, and then I would sing around town. I'd sing at hotels or you know a local show that someone would ask me to play in. And people would always say the same thing. They're like, "When's your music coming out? When we, we, we want to hear Matt Cozio record? Uh, you know, maybe some someday. Who knows?" Um, and kind of secretly, the fun part about it was me and Matt had worked on a record without really telling anybody. I was signed at the time, and I just, you know, I'm still with uh, Prescription Songs. Yeah. And they didn't even know. I didn't tell them I was making this record. I, we were just kind of going in and having fun. And people kept asking the same thing: "When's your record coming out?" I said, ah, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> and then, um, and then finally, I hand I submitted the record to the publisher, and they were like, "What's this?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, it's a ten song record." And they go, where did this come from? I said, been working on it for a while. So it's, um, you know, those two, Bree and Matt really, had it not been for the two of them, I don't think I would have learned nearly as much. I don't think I would have uh, appreciated music as much as I do now. And I don't think I would have put the record out. To be honest right. with you, I don't think I would. I, I don't think I would have made the record had it not been for them, and uh, just for them going like, "This is something you probably should do. Don't sell yourself short." And um, they both one day we were all sitting having, having, having drinks, and and they just said, "Man, sometimes you just need to jump off the plank. You know, don't be afraid of jumping in the water." Right. And I went, "Okay." You know, I always feel like my life is just a series of really guttural lessons I need to learn. I feel like it is for everybody, but yeah. a lot of those, I, I remember them all. And it's, you know, I try to remember them and, and keep them in play when they need to be there. But yeah, those two have just been such uh, elemental parts of my time in Nashville. And now when did you hand that album over to the label? Well, I handed it to the publisher. Gosh. Uh, I handed it to them maybe about a year ago it had already been done for about a year right yeah you know so it the the is so the record is has probably lived on a hard drive like most things in nashville lived on a hard drive for probably two years i handed it to them probably in may may or june of 2021 okay so throughout 2020 as you're thinking about jumping off and jumping into this artist thing was there any point or was there many points throughout 2020 where you were thinking ah you know it's all this is happening it's not worth it there's too much going on or were you at that point focused on no I want to take this leap when the time is right you know I it's funny for me a lot of people and obviously it's a very um touchy subject but i think for me 2020 was the most i don't want to say the most healing year but it definitely had healing qualities i feel like it was the one of the most eye-opening years of me going what do you want right you know you've you've played as an artist since you were a kid you know you've played ac across the country you've played as the guitar player you've played as the songwriter um what do you want to do and you know, we had started the record before 2020 and it just kind of sat. We would touch on it for a day or two here, a week here and there. And we probably had recorded about 15, 
ish songs, 20 songs, and we whittled it down. But I think during 2020, that much time alone, and we all have a lot of time alone. Yeah, exactly. That much time alone. And I'm, I've always felt like I've been very good at sitting with myself and my thoughts and going, all right, let's sift through this together. You know, having that inner dialogue of like, what is it that you want to do? You know, and what's, if you put your attention into it, don't half-ass it, do it right. And there was no, there was no label in sight. There was no, I, I was just going to really focus on putting out the record. And I had put out probably before this one, one, two, three others, maybe four yeah, others. Three EPs, you I know, believe. Three yeah. EPs. Um, well, unless you're counting Good Man Down, then it'd be four, but. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to count that one. No, but I mean, it, so you figure four EPs worth of music, if we're going to count that, Mm-hmm. countless shows and i just go if you're gonna do it again just do it you know you, this is what you love doing and then you know handing it in to them um and having that self-realization of just how much i love this and especially over covid because it was such a a tough time where people are losing their jobs some people are, are severely ill um things like that and you just kind of it, it puts a lot in a perspective of you. I think it depleted a lot of people of the energy to want to play music. Yeah. And for me, it just made me go, man, there's nothing else I like doing than this, you know, taking that thing you love so much away and saying, you can't do this for a year. So when you get it back, I, you know, I treat it like it's gold. I'm like, man, I'm never, I will never take this thing for granted. Not, not that I ever did, but it's just, you know, I go, okay, the thing that you love doing, just do it. Don't, don't act like, it's here forever. Cause it's not right. And, um, that's, that's kind of what 2020 did for me. It was, it was a really good healing process of going, man, you've written a lot of cool songs and now you're starting to get into the groove of loving everything, not everything, but you're, you're loving the things that you're writing because they all have purpose and they all have intent. And, um, and I think that's what, that's kind of what got me through the year was just sitting playing guitar in the house. I got Archie in 2020 and it was yeah. just, you know, me and the chief hanging out and I'm sitting there having bourbon at night playing guitar and he's sitting there sleeping and I'm going, all right, well, let's figure out something we could write today. And then doing a lot of zoom writing, you know, I was writing yeah. on zoom five days a week and I love it. You know, it's, uh, I always told other writers, I'm like, you're getting the best version of me today because I'm in my house. I'm in my element. Right. And, uh, and we would write these beautiful songs and a lot of the songs probably for, record number two or three are going to be those zoom rights those rights where i was like man you're getting we're digging in because i've got the dog i've got coffee i haven't even left my house who knows <laughs> if i'm wearing pants at this time no one <laughs> yeah. knows but you know i mean that it, i think i i really tried to take advantage of COVID. you know it was such a hard time for everybody i said I, it would be a shame if i just let this be a time where i just did nothing and I felt bad. And I, so I kind of focused myself and said, write as much as you can. Sift through those closets that you haven't sifted through in your brain in years. And finally get out the stuff that you needed to. So that way, this body of music that you're putting out, if it does well, you can have a backup of the next things to say. Right. Which I'm, you know, at this point, I'm super glad I did. <laughs> I'm super <laughs> happy I did that. You know? And so... How does it feel at this point to have the album? What are we about 
two months away two from months the release. Yeah. May is going May to be released 20th. May 20th. And so how does it feel at this point to have had this journey since, you know, the end of high school and to finally be at a place where you're confident about releasing this music as an artist and sort of knowing more concrete what your path is. This is the way I can explain how it feels. I'll come home, I'll go to a local bar, places, a place that people have seen me play for years and put the years and the work in and having people now come up to me who I've known 10, 20 years and go, hey man, I just listened to your song. I'm so proud of you. It's, it's like getting hit by a bus of emotion and just going, man, the, the years that you put into doing the right thing, finding the voice that you wanted to find, finding the space that you wanted to be in. It's, there's not a, there's not a, a single word I could use to probably describe that. It gets me really excited obviously yep. you know I'm, i can't wait for people to hear this record in its entirety because it was just so much fun to make you know it was me and matt sitting in a room two two people who are great friends and going like how much fun can we have making a record because i always feel like people making records with intent as opposed to just playing in the sandbox right you know? and that's what always made great records great is that you're hearing people just play and have fun you know, Jimmy Page had this great quote about Stairway to Heaven. He's like, I never played the solo the same way twice because it was that moment. I was just, I had a really good take and I loved it. Right. Yeah. And that's how I felt about us making this record. The things that we did, I'm like, man, I can sing it like that twice, but I can't recreate that thing twice. And we got it, you know? So I think I, I'm, I'm thoroughly excited for people to hear it. Um, it. It makes me go, man, that work was all worth something. You know, that's one of those feelings you can't recreate is knowing that all the years that you've kind of from this room, I kid you not, my childhood room, to being able to put out a record on a, on a really cool label and starting to see some of the, the fruit of that work over 10, 15 years. It's, man, it's, it's, it. It's the one thing you always kind of hope for. And it's, it's only step one. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I told somebody the other day, I said, this is 10, 15 years worth of work just to get on the first step of the stairs. <laughs> and I was like, and if you don't love it, then don't walk up the steps, man. Cause it's only going to get harder, Yeah. but I don't, I don't like anything else. So it's like, I couldn't imagine not doing it, you know? So that's, that's what it feels like for me is like, Having that affirmation, it's just this abundance of emotion of like, man, that that work you put in, those trips of sleeping on the floor in Ryan's apartment, uh, you know, not having any money and figuring out, well, I'm stuck in Los Angeles. How do I get home? <laughs> right. All those, all those, all those moments of utter panic, and then the other moments of playing guitar in front of people and having somebody cheer back and say that was the coolest thing they've ever heard. And it could have been in a room of five people. I don't care if one person came up to me, said it was the coolest thing they ever heard. I've done my job. It made those years worth it. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Matt for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his newest single, House to Build a Home, wherever you stream your music. And 
check out his new album, Wild Horse, when it's released on May 20th. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and stay up to date on all our exciting upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. If streaming is your thing, you can also find us on any streaming platform. So just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music